Okay. Looks like an angel. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Oh, it's hot, that's why. Summertime. So in 1944, Hiro Onada was a Japanese intelligence officer, and he, along with three other soldiers in 1944, were stationed on Lubang Island, which is in the Philippines, during World War II. They were told to hold off the Allies and to never surrender. Major Yoshimi Tanaguchi promised a young lieutenant, Hiro Onada, he said, it may take three years, it may take five years, but whatever happens, we'll come back for you. With this, he gave his final order to Hiro, and he said, stand and fight, which they did. However, Japan surrendered to the Allies a little less than a year later, in September of 1945 ending the war. The problem is there were so many Japanese troops that were scattered throughout the jungles that had lost contact with their commanding officers and with the troops. And so what they did is they created leaflets to drop from the plains into the jungle. And these leaflets were a combination of newspaper articles and cutouts and clippings. And it said, the war is over, you can come out. And many soldiers left when they got the news. However, Hero, being an intelligence officer, looked at the leaflets and found all sorts of mistakes in it, and grammar mistakes and errors. And so he and his soldiers with him decided that this was a ploy from the Americans and they were not going to surrender. So they stayed and they kept fighting, doing guerrilla warfare with some of the neighboring little villages. And the years went by, and they attempted to drop more leaflets, trying to get them, the war is over, you can come out, you can surrender, the war is over. But Hero did not believe the leaflets, so they stayed and fought. And 29 years after the war had ended, there was a young man who was a traveler who was kind of an adventurer, and his name was Suzuki, and he had heard about this man, Onada, because what had happened over the last 29 years, two of his soldiers, remember there were only three with him, two of them, one walked out of the village, walked out of the jungle in 1954 and encountered some of the people and they captured him and then said, hey, it's over, you can go home and released him to Japan. And another one of his soldiers were killed and in a little confrontation and so the word got back that there was still this man out in the jungle fighting the war. And Suzuki wanted to find him, so he went on this adventure, he found Mr. Onada and he sat with him and he said, sir, the war is over, it's been over for almost 30 years, please, you have to come out and surrender. And Onada said, unless my commanding officer, who said he would come back for me, relieves me of my duty, I will never surrender. So Suzuki returned home later to Japan and told the president, told the government what was happening. And so they contacted his old commanding officer, remember, uh, Tanaguchi, and he is now a bookseller somewhere. They fly him back to Lubang to go in and find Onada. 
So on March 9th, 1974, Taniguchi walks in and finds Onada and tells him, the war is over, you're relieved of your command. And we have a picture of them as they walk out of the jungle. He is now 52 years old, almost 30 years after the war had ended. Hero emerged, still dressed in his tattered official uniform with his service rifle and sword still in excellent condition. Laying down his sword, he gives it to the president of the Philippines. In an act of surrender, it said he was weeping as he handed over his sword. And Onada became the very last Japanese soldier from World War II to surrender. When asked in 1974, what was going through your mind for those 29 years in the jungle? Onada said simply, nothing but accomplishing my duty. What in your life are you that committed to? What in your life are you willing to stand, contend, fight for, and never surrender? I would hope for some of you in the room today that would be Jesus. Since he's the only person that died for your sins. He's the only one that took your place so that you could spend eternity with God in heaven. He is the only one that deserves that. So what was Jesus' last command to us? What are we staking our lives upon? Jesus' last command, Matthew 28 and verse 19. We'll read that scripture and we'll put it up for you. Jesus saying, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all that I have commanded you to. Seems easy enough. Perhaps you're reading this scripture and you're like, yes, I'm getting baptized today. I'm literally in the Bible. I'm doing what God said to do. And it's like, yes, and that is awesome. You are on your way. And for maybe some of you sitting here, you think, well, what does that mean? What's, what, what's the requirement to get baptized? Like, you know, what, what is the process here? Well, Jesus tells us, if you look at Matthew chapter 14 and verse 17, Jesus said, from then on, Jesus began to preach and he said, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. See, what it, you have to do is you have to start with repentance. That's where your journey starts. And repentance doesn't mean to feel sorry or regretful. All those, those things are good. Repentance actually means to change your mind, to change the way you think about something and therefore also change your life. Now, repentance is something you will do throughout your time with God. Because as the Lord reveals things to you in your life, you're like, ooh, I've got to make that change. So that is repentance. That is turning away and changing my lifestyle or changing what God has told me to do. That's what it means to repent. And what you do in this repentance is you're also changing your old way of thinking and you're fully surrendering your life to God. Now, like Mr. Onada, 
your last and final command becomes everything Jesus said. So as a follower of Christ, you're like, whatever you say, God, that is what I'm going to do. I'm surrendering my old ways, and I'm going to follow you. The problem is there's actually a lot of Christians who've never surrendered their lives to God. You can come to church for 20 years. It doesn't mean you've surrendered your life to God. You can sit here week after week, but it doesn't mean in your heart you've surrendered your life to God. There's no fruitful change of your life following Jesus. So what happens is you surrender your life to God. Now, once you've surrendered your life to God, now you get baptized. All right? So baptism is both a physical and a spiritual act. Physical because you're saying to the rest of the world, I'm no longer in rebellion of God. I have now chosen to surrender and follow God. So I am changing. So I'm getting baptized. To all my friends and family, you should expect me now to act differently. Don't say to me, why don't you do this anymore? You're no fun. You don't want to go out, blah, blah, blah. Say, listen, that person is dying today in that water. The scripture says you are buried with Christ and then you are risen again. So there is a physical act of being buried and risen again. Then there's a spiritual thing that happens that Lord alone knows what he does. And I'm going to try and put my Cindy fluffy words around it. So just not this, not scriptural. Just go with me. So, but you know, instantly when you turn from your rebellion against God and you get saved and you get delivered, you get a new spirit inside of you. The Bible says you're a new creation, a new creature. I don't understand it, but you are. You're a person that's never existed before. That's inside of you, your spirit. But something happens when you get baptized in that water. Because even though you get a new spirit, it's almost like you're carrying your, your old self around with you. It's like in the spirit, there's like this dead person hanging out. You know, it's like, you know, and so when you get baptized, you go down, God's like, "Mm -mm, stay. And that dead person stays those old ways that stays and you come up and you are brand new. You are God's new creature, new creation. And honestly, it's such a phenomenal moment. I can't even explain to you what God does, but it's just a beautiful, beautiful moment. So now. According to Jesus' command, you've repented, you've been baptized in water, and now it says you're supposed to follow what he teaches. This is where I come into play. So I'm here to help teach you what you're supposed to do and how to obey Jesus' command. How do you become a disciple? Or let's use a more modern-day word, an apprentice. How do you become an apprentice of God? It's very simple. There's three, I'm going to put it down to three little steps. To be an apprentice of Jesus is to order your life around three goals. Number one, be with Jesus. Number two, become like Jesus. And number three, do what he did. Easy enough, right? Maybe not easy enough, but maybe simple enough. (laughs) So let's start with number one, be with Jesus. What does that look like? And, and for those of you that, that do this already and have fully grasped this, just bear with me because there's a lot of people that ask these kinds of questions because they, they've never been taught. They maybe didn't have it modeled for them of what it <clears throat> looks like to be with Jesus. So your morning should start with Jesus, okay? <clears throat> get your coffee, get your Bible, go sit somewhere 
where it's nice and quiet, where you can be alone. When I start, I don't like to start by asking God everything on my list. I like to just sit there for a moment, and I like to just turn my affection towards Him, and I like to just think about how amazing He is, how wonderful He is, and what that must have been like to be the creator of everything, and how much He loves me. And I just focus my thoughts on Him. I'm not even necessarily saying anything. I'm thinking these things. And then I'll begin to say, good morning, God. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Jesus. Thank you for waking me up again. Thank you for putting breath in my lungs. It's all because of you that I'm here. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me and for living for me and for everything you've done and for interceding for me. Thank you for giving me Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you you're my leader, you're my guide, you, you comfort me, you sometimes discipline me, but you are so much more to me than I could ever possibly imagine. Talk to me today, God. Tell me what's on your heart. And then I'll just sit in silence for a few minutes, sip my coffee, and then I'll open up the Bible. And if this is new to you, I encourage you to start in the New Testament. Start with the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Because that's where Jesus comes into play. And if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. So that's the best place for you to start in the New Testament. <clears throat> so I'll start and I'll read a few chapters in the New Testament. And I'll begin to let it soak in. Maybe a psalm or a proverb as well. And what I'm doing in this time is I'm making time to be with Jesus. I'm not reading my Bible so I can go, yep, you read my Bible, checked it off, ooh, early plan, another day off, yep, no. I'm reading my Bible so that I can learn what Jesus is like, so I can be with him, so I can get to know him, so I can do what he did. And what happens when I read the Bible is I allow it to change me. When I read it, I see the way the world's supposed to be. I see the way truth is supposed to be, not the way the world is trying to sell it to me. You know, the problem is I, I was reading a Barner report the other day, and it's very disheartening. The Barner report survey showed that only 9% of Christians read their Bible daily. And it showed that only another 5% read their Bible a few times a month. Folks, that's a staggering 14%. 14%. That's 14 out of 100 Christians are reading their Bible. Don't look around the room, because that statistic is not true in our church. Because I know all y'all are reading the Bible. Okay. It's not here. It's out there with those other Christians. All right. In here, though. Okay. But just for the stats, like, think about that. Only 14 out of 100 people are reading their Bible. Why is this a problem? Because if you're not reading the Bible, how do you know who God is? How do you know what he likes? How do you know what he doesn't like? How do you know his character, what his morals are, what he detests, what he loves? More importantly, how do you know what he wants for you and what he wants for you to accomplish? How do you know any of these things if you're not reading? What happens is 
when they don't read their Bible, people start to form God in their own minds. You start to form God with your flaws and your weaknesses and your moral indiscretions and your way of thinking. And, well, he should do this. There's no way God's not going to let everybody into heaven. There's no way God doesn't love these people. You start to form God in your own mind. And then instead of letting the word change and form you, you form a God in your own mind. And then you worship that God, which is basically yourself. Not the real Jesus. Scary place to be. You know, I often have people ask me, how can I hear God's voice, Cindy? I want to hear God's voice more, you know? Read your Bible. <laughs> it's not only the safest place for you to hear God's voice, but you will hear him the most clear and the most often. Because when you sit down just to spend time with Jesus and you just start to read those stories and read what happened, something will jump out at you or a scripture will jump out at you. And you'll just be like, whoa, wow, God, you just made that living to me right there. He just spoke to you right then and there. He'll tell you how to solve a problem. He'll tell you how to handle that situation that you're in relationally. Trust me, it's all in there. So what I do after that is now I'll spend time praying and talking to God. Another thing I've heard before is people say this, well, I don't need to ask God what I have need of because the Bible says he already knows before I ask what I have need of. So I don't need to ask. You've missed the point of prayer. The point of prayer is communication. God so desperately wants to spend time with you and he wants you to talk to him. So yes, part of talking to him will be telling him some of the things you have need of. And you know what? God loves you so much. He is so excited to provide for you. It's like a good parent. They're just so excited. Of course, I'll take care of that problem. Not a problem. I'll take care of it for you. But in the same breath, we don't want to be the spoiled child, right? That only comes when they want something. Parents, you know that kid? You know, you're like, oh my gosh, it only calls when they want money, right? Like, seriously, we don't want to be that parent. We don't want to be that child to God, right? We want to come. So you want to tell God everything that's on your heart. Talk to him. He wants to you to communicate with him. And guess what? He's going to talk back. That might be a shock for some people. What do you mean he's going to talk back? He likes to talk. And he talks all the time to you in all different ways. He'll, the whole rest of the day, after I've spent that time with him, I tune myself to be aware of his presence with me. Because he is with you always. But now when you spend that time, you're more aware. You get in the car. You're just more aware of it. You talk to him about stuff. And then watch how he talks back to you. Maybe you'll meet with a friend and they'll something, say something. You're like, oh, that was, that, was, that was God talking through that person. Or maybe it's through a book you're reading. Or maybe it's through nature. Funny story. This last week, um, I began reading Genesis again. And if you've never read Genesis, it's hands down one of my favorite books in the Bible because it's like a movie, okay? I start reading Genesis and I get so engrossed in what's happening. I'm like, what happened then? <gasps> they did what? Like, you know what I'm saying? If you read, they'd slept with who? I mean, it's, it is, you know what I'm saying? It's a little R-rated in some places and you're just like, <gasps> And then I look at the clock and I'm like, I gotta go to work. I gotta stop reading. Just one, just let me finish the story. I already know what happens. Like, I've, this is not my first time reading it, but it's so engrossed, you know? Anyway, so I'm reading, I was reading Genesis and it was like Noah's Ark and the flood. And of course, God 
puts covenant with them and gives them a rainbow, right? And that shows the covenant he has with us. So I go about my day, and you know, it's been like 93 here in San Diego, which is close to hell for us. So um, it's as close as we get. Um, and I came home that afternoon from work, and my husband and I had the doors open because we don't have AC and it's hot. And uh, suddenly, clouds came over, like suddenly. The sky went dark and brown, and my husband's like, it's gonna rain. I was like, it doesn't say it's gonna rain, but what's happening? Clouds all over, suddenly. And within 10 minutes, I stand there, and the most beautiful rainbow over our house through the clouds. And I stood there and I was like, <clears throat> I was the most excited I'd ever been to see a rainbow. In my heart, I was melting because it was like God knew I read Genesis that morning about the rainbow and he gave me a rainbow that afternoon and you guys got it too, but it was for me if you didn't know. <laughs> but it was so beautiful and I stood there and it was like God saying, yeah, yeah, baby girl, see, I'm in covenant with you. I was with you. I was watching that. He can make ancient texts come alive today because he is alive today. And so he can talk to you just like that through nature, just to say, look, I love you. I was with you. I was watching you read that story. See, that's, isn't God amazing? Honestly, I think we have like the coolest God ever. I never understand why people don't want to get saved. It's just so awesome. Anyway, so <clears throat> moving on. So that's, Number one is be with Jesus, okay? Now, number two is become like Jesus. How do we become like Jesus? Well, if we look at the scripture, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it says this, And do not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So we become like Jesus by renewing our minds. Do you know that spiritual formation is not a Christian thing? It's a human thing? Because you are being formed and shaped every single day. You're being formed and shaped by the friends you hang around with, by what you watch, what you read, by your parents. Everything is shaping you and forming you all the time. In fact, I would go so far to say that you already are a disciple or an apprentice of something or someone. So what you have to do is you have to take godly information to counteract what's just happening to you. Because every day what the world is telling you, what your friends are telling you, what society, what you've been learning, it's all already forming you. Now you have to counter that and you do that through godly transformation. So when you give your life over to God and you get delivered and you get saved, now you have to switch your mind's way of thinking from son, I mean from slave to son. Because if you didn't know it, it says you're a slave to darkness. You are a slave in, God, in, in Satan's kingdom. That's what the, the Bible says, you are a slave. So you've got to switch your way of thinking from a slave to a son. You have to switch your way of thinking from a slave to a soldier. Because now you're called to be a soldier in God's kingdom. Now it doesn't matter, you still may get the exact same attacks you had before. You have the same medical things, you have the same financial things, you have the same relational attacks coming. But the difference is now you see them from a different position. The Bible says you're positioned in Christ. So what does it look like now? 
Now, you're not a sick person trying to get healed. You're a healthy person fighting sickness. You're not a sinner trying to get holy. You're a saint fighting sin. But in order to do this, you have to change your thinking. You have to renew your mind to the way God's telling you you are. So how do you do this? There's two ways we renew our minds. Number one is knowledge, and number two is practice. The first one, let's talk about knowledge. Knowledge, how do you get knowledge? You want to get as much knowledge as you can. You read your Bible or you read books. Bible college is an awesome way to get uh, Bible knowledge because you can't do what you don't know. You can't do what you don't understand. Something doesn't make sense to you. Like, well, I don't understand. Exactly. You need to come and get the information so that you can learn what you're supposed to be doing and what you're supposed to be accomplishing. So what you feed your mind will become a mindset. And a mindset is impossible to change without changing what your mind is filled with. So here, let me explain. A mindset is something that you think by default. A mindset is like almost you don't even have to think about it. That's just the way you think. That's just the way you're going to act in a situation. Mostly because of how you are raised or how deeply the belief goes into your subconscious. For instance, let's say you were raised to believe that um, the woman needs to stay home and raise the kids and she shouldn't work because you were raised with an awesome mom who stayed home, spent all the time with the children, the dad worked, and so deep ingrained in you this mindset is that woman shouldn't work. Now that's neither wrong nor right. The problem's going to come when you meet a woman who you want to marry who says she wants to have a job. You're going to run into conflict, you see? Now your mindset can be changed but you're gonna have conflict in this area because that's your default thinking. Or your default thinking is, God is in control of everything. Everything that happens in my life is God's fault and doing. Good, bad, and ugly. If I break my leg, it was God's doing because he's teaching me something. If I, my car got stolen, it's God's will, he's teaching me something, okay? So if that is your default thinking, you're going to run into problems when you see that God's will actually says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that he's the kind that you might have life more abundantly, that you can be healed and set free. And he doesn't cause bad things to happen to you. So what happens is you have to change that way of thinking. See, because what happens is a mindset is what controls you. The mind is what you control. So the only way to change your default automatic thinking is by filling your conscious mind to overflowing with God's word, God's way, so that it finally seeps deep into your subconscious. So after a while, your new and improved default thinking is God is good Amen. and women can work. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just saying, just throwing that out there. I will tell you something, this is a lifelong journey, people. I wish I could say I'm selling the pills afterwards to new and improve default thinking. No, um, I would make a fortune, by the way. Uh, no, you can't take a pill, I wish there was. I wish I could say you're gonna do it and tomorrow you're gonna be like, woohoo, I've got this. No, unfortunately, 
it takes a while, pretty much the rest of your life. Some things you will change quickly, they will be changed, and you will see improvements. But can I tell you this? Celebrate the process. Okay, celebrate the process. It's going to take time to see the change in your mind and in your life. I honestly think that is the reason that God took six days to create the world instead of just one day. I mean, he's God. Like, he couldn't have just gone and the whole of creation be here in one day. Of course he could have. Why did he take six days? I think he took six days because he wanted us to show how to go through the process of change. Each day, God did something, but at the end of the day, he wasn't finished with the earth yet. But what did he say when he was done? It's good. He looked back, he's like, it's good. <laughs> it, was no, it was unfinished. It was Half the stuff wasn't done. See, what God did is instead of looking at what was unfinished, he looked at what was complete. And he said, that's good. This is something we can learn in every part of our life, me included. I have a tendency to have a lot going on in my life, and at the end of the day, I'm like, even though it was such a great day, I got so much done, I get home and I'm like, oh, I have this to do, I have this to do, I have so much, I have so much to do. Instead of looking back and saying, wow, that was a really good day. You got a lot done. It's the same thing applies in our life. We need to celebrate the small things that are changing. If you notice, hey, you know what? I'm working, I didn't get, I'm getting, I'm not getting angry. I'm really getting, I'm working on love. I'm really starting to, to control that in my life. Or, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm making changes. I'm, the Bible says I, I need to forgive. And so I've been working on that. I've been forgiving people and, and I've made changes. Or if it's, I'm supposed to read the Bible. And guess what? I read it three times this week. It's better than last week when I didn't read it at all. So, you know what, instead of beating yourself up, just go, wow, good job. I made a good change, right? And we should do that with our spouses too, especially if you know your spouse is trying to work on something. Help them, encourage them, look at the positive, celebrate the good. Because you'll also notice that God never once compared the messy process of creation to the beautiful heaven where he was living. He didn't look down and be like, oh my goodness, this is not heaven. But you know what? Well, I guess it'll do for the, you know. No, he never did that. And that, what the devil wants you to do is he wants you to compare. He wants you to compare your life with somebody else. He wants you to look at your life and say, oh, see your progress. Are you even making progress? I mean, what do you call what happened last week, right? But you have to remind him and you have to remind yourself, I am complete in God. I am complete in God. You do not need to compare yourself to anybody else. Because let me tell you this, comparing leads to complaining. Mm -hmm. And complaining leads to jealousy. And nothing stops God's work in your life quicker than jealousy. Don't compare your beginning with someone else's middle. Don't compare where you are where someone else is at. They might be further along that journey. They might have been working on it for a longer period of time. Don't compare. You do you. Boo. Just do it. Do you. Okay? Just do you. 
and celebrate those victories. And remember what it says in Philippians. It says, what God has started, he is able to finish. And he is not done with you yet. He's not done with me yet. He's not done with Pastor Henry yet. He is working, <laughs> he is working on all of us, all right? So that's the knowledge part of, 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 being, of becoming like Jesus. But you know, that being said, a knowledge is important. Let me just tell you this. You can't think your way to Christ-likeness. There was a famous French philosopher. You might have heard the expression that he said. He said, I think, therefore, I am. Well, he's been proven wrong because I read a lot of health books, and maybe you read them too, and you could read the whole health book, and you could fully believe in your mind everything to be true. But does it change anything in your life? Does the sugar miraculously jump out of your food? No. You can, you can read a sign, don't worry, be happy, and be like, yes, yep, yep. And then what? <laughs> you can read, the Bible says, Jesus says, love your enemies. You're like, yep, I know it. Uh, and you think that's going to work? No, that's not how it works because you all know there's a difference between knowing something and doing it. And even worse, there's a difference between knowing something and actually wanting to do it. We all know stuff that we should be doing that we're not doing. I know that exercise is good for me. I actually own a little Pilates machine. And I walk by and look at it every day. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll, I know. And I read a lot on health. And I'm like, yep, I, I, yep, I know it. I know that that's good for me. Yep, I know it. I'm going to do it one of these days. <laughs> Just so it's a false assumption to think that as your Bible knowledge goes up, so will your Christ-likeness. This is not how an apprentice to Jesus works. And you know I'm not discouraging Bible college because you know you need the knowledge. But don't think just because you get the knowledge your, your life will change. The, this is not how an apprentice works. The apprenticeship works because we must practice what we are learning. In Bible college we have a saying that says you are not growing until you're doing. This means when you read in the Bible, oh, God expects me to forgive everyone? That means you examine your life and you're like, oh, I got to give forgive that person. But they haven't said they're sorry. God's like, I don't care. But do you? He, God's like, I know. But I know. Okay, you forgive. All right, God, I'm going to forgive them, even if they never say they're sorry. You know why? Because it's actually not about you and them. It's about you and God. And you want that clear heart between God because you want to do whatever he commands. Like Mr. Onada, you want to, I'll stand firm, God, whatever you tell me to do. The Bible says to raise your hands and worship and sing. You're like, ooh, but I am so shy and I'm an introvert. God's like, I'm sorry, what was my command? You're like, up goes my hands. Because my life is no longer my own. I'm a soldier. I follow my commander's orders because he knows best. He knows what's good for me. So what happens is you make these changes that you're learning about in your life. And this is how you become an apprentice. You begin to become like Jesus. Now, part of this practice is spiritual disciplines or habits. Like your alone time with reading God, with re reading the Word, spending time with the Lord, that is your, one of your daily habits, okay? When it comes to church, you come, you serve, you give. Uh, coming to church is actually a requirement. If you didn't know that in the Bible, it's actually a requirement. Jesus says you need to be around community. You need to be around other like believers because we can't follow Jesus alone. 
Do you know that even Jesus had 12 close friends? And in your 30s, that's almost a miracle right there. I mean, that's hard to do. But so here at the church, we're a tribe. We're a family. And what happens is if you miss church for a few weeks in a row, you're probably going to get a phone call. Like, hey, how are you? Are you okay? Do, we need, do you need prayer? Do you need food sent to your house? Are you okay? What's happening? And people think, well, why do you do that? You're like the church police. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, if you usually have a healthy family dinner with your family and you're missing from the family dinner for a few weeks, is not one of your family going to call you and be like, hey, what's going on? Where are you? Because they're concerned because they're worried about you. Let me tell you as a pastor why I worry. Because our church is different than a lot of other churches. I'm not saying we're the only one, but we're different in the way that the Holy Spirit has already showed me in a vision that this church is on fire in the spirit world. So what does that mean in the realm? It's this church is on fire. This is a place where we worship God, where the presence of God is from the minute you walk in, in worship, in prayer. The word is preached in truth. The Holy Spirit hovers here. This place is on fire. So what happens is when you walk out the door, you're like a little miniature fire you're carrying. But what, during the week, everybody wants to spray water on your fire. They want to dump it on you. Oh, you got, you're sick, your relative's sick, your finances are this. The news says, oh, we've got some monkey flu nonsense happening now again. <laughs> There's an outbreak of Lord knows what happening. More water on your fire. So you come back Sunday. Sometimes you come back and you're like, you just got a little bit of a flame, a little flicker. And you come in here in the presence of God and the worship, and the worship just blows on you. And the fire starts to relight. And then the word comes. The, the Bible says the word comes with the truth. The truth boo, sets you back on fire. You're like, yes, I'm, I can do all things through Christ. Yes. I mean, Drea was prophesying over you guys today, the word. Just getting you on fire, lit up. You walk out, you're like, yes. And you walk out and you're ready to face the world again. But what happens is if the enemy can't get you to sin, he'll just get you distracted. He'll just get you so busy. Look at this new opportunity. Look how distracted you are. You, just, you, you can't go to church this Sunday. It's fine. It's just one Sunday. What's one Sunday? And the minute you miss one Sunday, not because you're traveling for work or vacation, you legitimately miss just because you're distracted or you've got so much going on. The enemy goes like this. Point for me. He is so patient. He is so slow. He just needs you to stay away one Sunday. Because the longer you stay away from the firehouse, the colder you grow. And after a while, you're like, I'll just watch it online. It's fine. And again, I know there's a lot of people watching from all over the world. So please know that I'm, I'm not saying anything to you. I know you can't get here. But watch for that. And that's my job is I'm watching. And that's why we have people that follow up with people because it's important. You don't want to move away from the firehouse. Don't give the enemy a chance. Stay close to the fire. In closing, my last point was do what Jesus did. You're like, awesome. How do I do what Jesus did? Because Jesus lived a pretty fantastic life. Can we all agree? I'm going to cover more of this in my next sermon. So point three will be covered more then, but I'm going to wrap it up with this. If you want to do what Jesus did, 
then follow points one and two. Be with Jesus and become like Jesus, and you will naturally want to do what Jesus did. It's as simple as that. If you do this, if you be with Jesus, become like Jesus, you will start to do with Jesus. You will fulfill the call that God gave you. You will be like Mr. Onada. You're like, God, I never surrendered to the end. I stood. I did what you told me to do. And what will happen is you will become an apprentice, but you will also become a discipler of others. You will now be able to teach and help the next person along the journey because that's what he said. Once you become a disciple, now you help and teach the next person and so on. And you will be faithful to the end. You will stand and say, God, I never surrendered. I did what you told me to do. So I'll leave you with that question. Are you ready to say, God, you are my commander. I will do whatever you say to do. I'm going to make these changes in my life. I want to be with you. I want to become with, like you. I want to do what you did. Will you sacrifice your life? Lay it down like Mr. Onada did and say, I will not give up or listen to anybody else other than my commander's final orders. Go ahead and close your eyes this morning with me if you would and just go ahead and stand as we close. Maybe you're here today and <clears throat> you heard this message and you're like, I don't think that's what I, I don't think I've ever done that. I don't think I've ever surrendered my life to Jesus with acknowledging him and telling him, yes, this is what I want to do. I'm not sure if I've ever truly repented and really changed my mind and my way of thinking and said, you know what? I am done with this old way of thinking, this old way of living. I want to follow you, God. And with everything in me, I'm going to follow you. If you want to do that for the first time today, just raise your hand. We're going to pray a prayer. God's going to hear it. And today you'll become apprentice of Jesus. So if that's you, wherever you are, just slip your hand in the air, and I'm going to pray for you wherever you are. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand back there as well. Thank you, Jesus. I see the lady in the back. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Like Pastor Henry said, the whole of heaven rejoices when somebody makes that commitment because Jesus gave his life for you. And he's so happy when you choose him back. So if those people with their hands raised, I'm going to pray with you right now. Everybody just repeat this prayer after me if you mean it in your heart. Just say, Father God, thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you that he died on the cross for me and took my sins. That he went to hell in my place. That he rose again. I put my faith and trust in you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Today I surrender my life to you. I choose to follow you, God, and no one else. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You are a child of God. You are now an apprentice of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Let's give God praise.
I'm going to invite my ministry team to come forward. And if you, as we close, if you need prayer for anything, if you're standing, if you need prayer for healing or finances or whatever it might be, you just need somebody to agree with you in prayer, come down and see one of my ministry team and they will, uh, they will pray with you and believe with you. And then right off to that, people, remember, we're going to head uh, over to the baptism um, as soon as we can, okay? Oh, and Bible college, if you're interested in Bible college, I'll be down front. All right. Praise the Lord for that. Would you give uh, Pastor Cindy a wonderful... Every week when she preaches, you never know what you're going to get, but it's always good. So I thought last week I was going to be finishing that series on God Knows. Found out He does know. And I was wrong. We're going to continue next Sunday. God knows how to rescue you. Not only does He know what you need and knows a way, but He knows how to rescue you. You. So that's next Sunday. And the following Sundays, God knows how to speak to you. God knows how to speak to you. So we look forward to seeing you next Sunday. After Sunday, after Pastor Cindy's message, Light My Fire. There used to be a song like that, Light My Fire. <laughs> You're coming back, all right? God bless you. Come on down for prayer. Going to have a wonderful baptism. And those who are coming for Bible college, come and enroll real quick. Come get the registration. All right, coming down for prayer. God bless you. Dismissed. <laughs>